Let's pray. God, thanks so much that uh, we are gathered here in your name, uh, that the very breath in our lungs is from you. Um, it is our heart as a church to surrender to you. And as we just sang a second ago, we want to surrender all, not just part, but all of our lives. And so uh, let us start now with these next 30 or so minutes, uh, just surrendering to you and the things that we see in your word, learning from you that uh, we have all that we need from you to live this life for you. Help us to be reminded of the things that go into this life, the, the things that you hope for us and hope from us. Uh, help us to bring those things to our own lives personally, to our marriages and, and, and families, to our uh, jobs and schools and to everywhere we go. May we just exude the person of Christ. Uh, help us to set aside whatever we came in here with. I know i got some things in my mind. Just help us to be here, to be centered on you. Uh, grant us your grace, I pray. Uh, get me out of the way. Speak in my place, as always, in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand this morning as we read this passage in 2 Peter? <laughs> 2 Peter chapter 1 starts like this. Everybody read it with me. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. May God bless the reading of his word. Have a seat. I... Uh, I think lists kind of keep us in line. Has anybody noticed this? Like, like a, a pilots do this. When pilots get ready to fly a plane, did you know there's like a whole list of check things that they have to do before they can even start the thing? And they, they, they could have done hundreds of flights, uh, had the same experience over and over again, but they're still forced, required, uh, to walk through these checklists, these SOPs for all of you who've served in our military, the standard operating procedures. They do this because uh, they don't want to be uh, flying the plane in that one flight where they didn't do it and everything kind of went wrong because uh, uh, they just didn't check to make sure everything was working correctly. Lists keep us in line. Paul there, or Paul, Peter, man. Peter is, uh, is, is writing his second letter. Yeah, he, he addresses it 
uh, to some folks in a specific time in the church's history where false teaching was coming into play and people were being, being pulled away to the left and to the right uh, from the truth of Jesus Christ. And he starts his letter, as he's, he's gonna rebuke and, and confront these false teachers in chapter two. He starts his letter with this list. Did everybody see the list? He says some nice things. Hey, grace and peace to you, all that stuff. He says, don't forget that we have all that we need in Jesus. We're gonna talk about that this morning. But then live this list. That's basically what he says, live the list. Lots of lists in the Bible, have you noticed that? Lots of times as you're reading along, all of a sudden you'll see long lists of people, like this guy begat this guy begat this guy. Ever read that in the Old Testament, right? But then there's uh, other lists, lists like uh, here's how you live. Like Moses got 10 things from God, he wrote them on a rock, right? They call the 10 commandments, it's a list. Now you get to the writings of Paul, in the book of Galatians, he gets to chapter five and he says, here's, here's a good list. These are the fruit of the Spirit. Live with these. Now, there's all kinds of lists. And each of these lists is our standard operating procedure. And so what I'm going to say this morning is Peter says it through me, I hope, and Christ through uh, that, is that to live the Christ life, we must submiss, submit to the Christ lists. These are our standard operating procedures, the things that God has called us to, the things that we'll need to avoid all the false teachings and all the false prophets and everything else there that is out in our world that's trying to pull us away from this truth. Anybody notice that lately? Our faith is uh, taking it on the chin, whether it's in political agendas or just the world's overall tone and tenor. People are just looking at us more and more like we've got three heads. How can you believe what you believe? It's gonna be really uh, uh, easy, more, more simple for us to just kind of say, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of with them. I don't know why I believe this. In fact, uh, we, we make phone calls around here to folks who aren't uh, hanging out at our church as, as, more, as frequently as we haven't seen them. I've, I've tried to text people I haven't seen, and um, I usually expect that they've kind of found another church, which is, listen, that happens. Maybe you're sitting here this morning as a result of leaving the one you were just at. Uh, there's lots of great churches in Brandon. I like ours, right? But, you know, maybe they just found another church, and if that's the case, cool. But you know what's alarming to me is a lot of people just say, eh, you know what, this, I got better things to do. I got other things going on. I just haven't sensed the closeness that I used to have with God. And it's just so simple for people to just and drift away. So it's so important, then, that we remember there's certain things that go into the Christ life. He's given us all the power that we uh, are, are in, in need of to be able to accomplish them, but we need to standardize our, our procedures, remember the lists, so that we can live for Christ. Let's start in verse three of this passage. Remember that Jesus gave you, first of all, the power to live the list. Jesus gives us the power to live the list. Anybody ever been given a list at work and you're like, I'll never get that done? Who hates that Monday? All right, here's what I need. I need this by Wednesday. And it's gonna, it should take you two months, but I need it by Wednesday. Does anybody feel just like overwhelmed in those situations? There's no possible way we're getting through that whole thing. Uh, but here's the, here's the joy of, of our salvation. Anything that we've been called to do in Scripture, we already have the power on board with Jesus in us to accomplish all that he's called us to do in life. That's what Peter was saying when he says here in verse 3, his, Jesus's, divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. 
all things that are in the godly life, Jesus has already put on board. It's just us discovering them, us employing them, us availing ourselves of the things that Jesus has given us. I remember as a college student, one of the jobs that you could take off the job board at my school in Chicago was driving someone's car from Chicago to Florida in preparation for their snowbird season. So usually around November, December, people would start heading down, usually right after Christmas, actually. They'd spend Christmas with their families, and then they'd come down for the three or four months of, of the hardest part of winter. And uh, they'd pay us college students to drive their cars down for them. Now, that might have been a daunting thing for an 18-year-old, 19-year-old, uh, if it hadn't been such a lucrative thing. They gave you a lot of money to do that, these rich folks who didn't want to drive their own cars down there. Now, they also gave you this thing called a triptych. You've got to be a certain age to know what I'm talking about that. But uh, back in the 80s and 90s, before the Earth's crust had hardened, uh, and before GPS was on every phone in America, uh, you used to have to unfold these maps. Anybody remember just watching your parents struggle with this or yourself struggling with these things? And uh, it wasn't just a given that you knew how to get from Chicago to Florida. You had to just, you know, figure out where you were on paper. Uh, Siri wasn't telling you to turn left. But they had this incredible uh, offering from, uh, I don't know what company, but they would basically give you like a flip pad of directions. Here's your first turn, your second turn, and, and, and that came in the trip. Here's how you're going to get you know, your car down to Bradenton, follow the triptych. So we had the money, we had the triptych, we had their gas cards, that was fun. You can buy yourself a few snacks if you want at the Emico. Oh, thank you, sir. Uh, but then the greatest part of it is they gave us a flight home. Actually, back when they were paper tickets, anybody remember those? They would actually, in the bundle, they'd give you the car, the money, the Amoco card, the trip tick, and then they'd put the ticket for your flight home. And it usually would be like after a couple days, you could stay in their house if they were that kind of trusting, and you could, you could just hang out at the beach and drive their car before they ever got down there and then take your flight home. How great was that? What a great job. You basically got spring break for free. But that's the kind of relationship that we have with Jesus. He sent us on this journey. He's purposed this life for us. He says, this is what I want you to do, but he doesn't say, go figure it out. Hope you get it sorted. Grit your teeth. Make it happen. No, Jesus says, everything that you need, the power to accomplish all that I've called you to, been granted to us in Christ. We, we have this power because we know Jesus. We, we have power from just knowing Jesus. It'll show up here in just a second. We have power from knowing Jesus. Yeah, right. Well, look what it says again there in verse 3. It says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We have everything that we need for the godly life. And it's through the knowledge of him that we've received this power, this knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Whoa. You know what Jesus has called us to? You know what the destination is that we're heading towards? His glory, his excellence. It's his whole expectation. Maybe some of us have thought that salvation was about us, about us not having to spend eternity without God, about us not you know, being apart from God. And certainly there's that component to it, but Jesus' chief aim is to make you like him. He's called us to his glory and to his excellence to participate in his divine nature, to look more like him and less like us. That's what he's called us to. 
I wonder if Peter's thinking about when Jesus called him. You remember when Peter got called by Jesus? He was just minding his own business and fishing. And, and Jesus says, hey, come and I'll make you what? A fisher of men. Come on, buddy. He called Peter. And every one of you in here, is, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're sitting here because Jesus called you. Maybe it was in that crusade that you responded to the gospel. Maybe it was in uh, your bedroom as your parents prayed with you the first time to receive Christ. Whatever it was, Jesus called you to himself. And when he called you, he called you not just to salvation, not just to the get out of hell free card. He called you to his glory and to his excellence. He gave you everything that you need to work in life towards those things. You know, when I think about my spiritual journey, I, I met Jesus um, first as a young boy. I don't know if it really came online. Definitely as a college student. That's when I started to really follow Jesus. And when I met him, you know, uh, he, he came online. But as I got to know him, I, I, I got better, not always best, but better at figuring out the things that he hoped for me in life. I got better at recognizing when I was off the path and when uh, I was choosing him not. I got, I got better at, at choosing him. Uh, I, I persist now, some 30 years into this process, hoping, you know, that the things that he hopes for me will be realized in my life. It's not unlike starting a sport. I remember in high school at 18, around the same time that I, I started really following Jesus with my life, I, got, I was given my first set of golf clubs. Um, it was my uh, graduation present for high school. Uh, it was great, I had all 13 clubs. Every, every golf bag is supposed to have 13 clubs, which because of the different lofts on the clubs and stuff like that, you're, you're supposed to be, basically be able to hit every shot with one of these clubs. Uh, but here's, here's the rub. Who's ever been golfing for the first time? Uh, how great were you at this game? Anybody? Uh, you had everything that you needed, but you didn't know how to use these suckers. In fact, the uh, first time I went playing golf, I thought it was a, a feats of strength contest. Swing as hard as you can. Come out of your shoes. Right? Now, I, I, when I made contact, the ball went. I mean, picture, you know, fit and, you know, uh, as a fiddle mark at 18, just smacking a ball. Problem was, I had no idea where I was going. And I could be farther from the target after one shot than I, you know, was from just standing on the tee. Yeah, so over time, I, I played more. And uh, I got some lessons. I, I started figuring out how to, how to, how to be a, a better golfer. There were seasons where I golfed a lot and got much better, and then there were seasons where I didn't golf a lot, and I regressed, Right? But ultimately, here's the deal. As I figured out this game, or uh, as, as I progressed down this, I, I got to the point where things nowhere near where I want them to be, or became more enjoyable. Successes became more regular. Because I understood how to work with what I'd been given. I had the clubs in the bag, but now I knew how to use them. This, I don't know if this helps, but this is the spiritual life. You have everything that you need the moment you meet Christ. The Holy Spirit is given to you in full, not in part, not in ways that you have to rediscover or you know, unlock the codes or whatever. It's all there. But as you and I grow in anything that we pick up and anything that we adopt in our lives, it's the same thing in the spiritual life. It comes from knowing Jesus, from being intimate with Jesus, from spending time with Jesus from looking to him for the things that you need in life. Familiarity has given me a greater confidence success, and success in my life with Christ, and I pray that it grows, my life with him grows all the more.
We don't only have power in knowing Jesus, we have power in the promises of Jesus. Look what it says in verse four. He says, he has granted to us his precious and very great, say it with me, promises. His promises have been given to us so that through them, you and I may become partakers of his divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. We know that ultimately this is gonna be realized in the second coming of Christ, that we will escape finally forever the sinful corruption of this world and we will be rescued finally to a heaven where sin does not exist. But it doesn't have to wait until then. There's plenty of sinful corruption for us to escape right now. Testify, who's with me? And God has, has in fulfillment of his promises, uh, from the very beginning of time, uh, purpose for you and I to know Christ and to be like Christ, to know Christ and to be saved in eternity with him, but to know Christ and to be saved in our now from the things that would drag us away from him. You know, the first promise of redemption came in the garden. I've talked to you about it before, but three chapters into our Bibles in verse 15 of Genesis chapter 3, as uh, God, uh, you know, ironically is doling out the punishments to the snake and to the man and to the woman for the first sin. Uh, he, he includes this one phrase. He says, hey, uh, snake, you're gonna crawl on the ground. He starts with Satan, the snake in the story. And he says, you're gonna crawl on the ground. I've, I've cursed you amongst the animals. But he says this, he says, listen, uh, she's going to have a descendant and you're gonna nip at his heel, but he is gonna crush your head. And there, in the, in the very discourse of punishment and judgment and wrath, God makes the first promise to man. And he says, you know what? There's gonna come one from the humans. We know him to be Jesus. And he will be the one who defeats you. And he will rescue the rest from the clutches of, of the sin and the corruption that you are seeking to bring to my creation. That was the first promise. He's followed it up with many other promises. He's said in different ways and different times in the history of Scripture, I will never leave you or forsake you. If I am for you, who can be against you? He's told us that he's going to be faithful to complete the work that is, he has started in us. He's, he's promised to uh, work through everything. He says in Romans that he's going to work all things together for the good of those who love him. His parables uh, that Jesus taught teach us that he'll persist in pursuing us. That's the parable of the lost sheep. His, his uh, last parable in Luke 15 tells us that he'll be patient in our return. That's the parable of the lost son. Promise after promise, all pointing to the ultimate purpose for you and I, which is to be like Jesus, to live this life for him and like him. We've been given the power the power of knowing him, the power of his promises. And that bridges us into the, what Peter says next in verse five. He says, for this very reason, since you have this power, that Jesus has given you all that you need to accomplish this thing, here's your standard operating procedures. He says, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge. And knowledge was self-control. And self-control was steadfastness. And steadfastness with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love. It's like he's, he's lifting off, listing off the ingredients of a recipe. My mom got into town Thursday. And she is required 
within 24 hours of arriving at my house to start baking. That is a rule. Because uh, there's certain foods that uh, I enjoy from my childhood, and she is the key uh, to my enjoyment of those things. And so usually the morning after she gets here, we go to Publix, and I load her up with everything that she needs. We just go down the baking goods aisle, and it's like, you need that, you need that, you need that. She's got a list just like this one. And all of those things go into the goodness that will fill my belly for the next two weeks. God says, hey, Peter, remind everybody who's in the midst of this confusing time where everybody's telling them what Jesus really meant and and what it truly is to be a Christian. Remind them what it really is. Give them the recipe one more time. Give them the list. So Peter does. Can you go back to verse 5 for me? It's, uh, it says in verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your gift. I want to just bring out this one word, supplement. Uh, it's a Greek word that I can't remember how to pronounce, but I'll tell you what it means. It basically comes from the, uh, the, the, the world of theater, and it has nothing to do with acting or, or anything in the actual theater itself. It has to do with how uh, plays came into existence in that time. Someone would have to be the benefactor of that play group, that that, that group of actors, so that they could have a, a theater to, to display their talents and They would have to basically pay up front uh, so that hopefully this, um, you know, they, they were like the producers of their day. When you get to the end credits of, of, uh, of, of your movies, the executive producers and all those producers, they're, they're the money behind the opening or the beginning of this thing, and they're hoping to get paid off. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. There's great risk in that, just like when you and I invest in anything. There's great risk. We're going to give the upfront, but it's the great risk. And here's what Peter says. He says, hey, make every effort to take great risk in being the donor or being the, the beginner of these great things in your life. I call this the power list. This is the list that comes from the power that you and I have in Christ. Now, I want to just walk through these things in this power list, if you can go back to where we were just a second ago. The power list basically has these things in it. In Christ I have the power to, first of all, aspire to excellence. That's what it means when it says add or supplement faith with virtue. Faith there is just us and what we believe. It's our, our faithfulness to God, our faithfulness to truth, but on top, on top of our faith and on top of what we believe, what we need to add is virtue or goodness. We need to do the right thing, like Spike Lee told us so many years ago in that movie. Do the right thing. And you might think, yeah, Mark, go to the next one. No, I want to challenge you. How often do you miss out on doing the right thing? You know what I like to do? I like to go to uh, grocery stores, Sam's, Costco, or whatever, and just watch people walk past uh, uh, grocery carts on their way into the building. Now listen, there's no law in our books that says you have to push a cart back to where it comes from. But don't you just think it's the right thing? If you're going in there anyway, just grab a cart and go in there. I pray that everybody in here becomes a cart pusher. Just make it easier for everybody. I'd love to park in that space if that yay who before me hadn't left his cart in it. And if you had gotten there five minutes before me and grabbed that cart and just taken it in, I could have parked there. It's simple stuff. And here's the deal. Here's what we're going to do with all these things. We're going to say good enough on being good. We're going to say good enough on self-control. Good enough on perseverance. God, good enough. But what Jesus is telling us is that you have the power from me to be excellent to be like me in these things. Not just good enough, not just better than the average guy or girl, but to be excellent like me, I want you to strive for those things. Add to 
your faith, virtue, and goodness. Aspire to excellence. The next one is this. Expand your knowledge. We have the power in Christ to expand our knowledge, and we should. So I'm grateful that you come here if you do every week and we get to talk. If you're listening to me online, I'd love you to be in our room, but if you can't and you're just there online, I'm so grateful that you're tuning in. Why? Because my hope is that every time we get to talk, our brains get bigger when it comes to following Jesus. I pray that you and I learn constantly, whether we're by ourselves or in a, in a, a group setting like this, we glean from Scripture, we glean from other believers, uh, the understandings that we need to know what's true and false, what's right and wrong, what's becoming in our lives and unbecoming as a follower of Jesus Christ, what's advantageous in our lives and what could be hurtful to our lives. Here's the bottom line. If you and I don't know, we can't do. Does anybody use that as an excuse at some point? How was I supposed to know I was supposed to do that? I didn't know, right? That's why it's so important that you and I know so that we can do and we can honor God. If we could know everything that we needed to know about God, we would be positioned more effectively to serve him in those things. In December, my wife has her birthday and Christmas within a week of themselves. And uh, so uh, apart from anniversaries and, and, uh, and apart from, uh, well, anniversary, what else would I give her gifts? Just all the time. I'm a great guy. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, really in, in that week, I got I to gotta nail it. I got to make sure I get these down. And so the whole month of December, I'm dropping hints. Because here's the deal. Guys, I don't know if it's this way for you. Uh, I've been told that I can't just come to my wife and say, what do you want for Christmas? What do you want for your birthday? And then have her point to it on the Amazon app, and I can just go, oh, great, bye. You know, that, that's just not how it's supposed to work. And, uh, she, she can go do that herself. I'm supposed to pick up on the things that she says, you know, just in our every, and so I'm like radar, you know, just the whole time <laughs> as she's talking to me. And, you know, we'll go in a store somewhere and say, oh, I like that. And I'll like make a mental note. I've actually grabbed my phone sometimes and gone to the notes app and been like. Because I want to remember those things. I want to know so that I can love and serve and knowledge of our Savior and how it allows us to do that. I need to practice self-control. I have the, I have the power to do so. Here, here's, the, here's where self-control comes in. Lots of times we know things, we just choose not to do them. Like a lot of times we know I shouldn't have that third piece of cake. Maybe that's just me. <laughs> but we just don't have the self-control to say no. And so you can know everything, but if you can't put it into play, it's of no use to you. So that's why the Bible talks over and over again about living with self-control, or I like to call it Christ control. Let me ask you a question. What, what, what area of your life are you best ignoring what you know about God? Think about it, it could be your marriage. Could be that one friendship or who, when you get in the presence of that one person, it's, it's like you don't even know God anymore. And everything that you know about how you're supposed to live for him and with him just kind of goes out the window because in this particular relationship or this particular environment, you just have no self-control. You have no willingness to put into play the things you know. That might be a great thing to write down and start praying about. God, would you give me self-control when I'm with this person, when I'm in this place, when I'm in this fight? with my spouse. He goes on and he, he says, uh, we, we have the power to remain steadfast. We, it says there in that list, that uh, to self-control we need to add steadfastness or perseverance, as we hear uh, mentioned in scriptures a lot of times. Self-control is something that we get to uh, exercise on a, a daily basis. Have you noticed that? It's not like there's just this one instance where you have to exercise patience and then for the rest of your life you never have to do it again. 
Does, does anybody notice that? I get in my car every day and I have to exercise patience because I drive up and down 60, right? Uh, I, 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 come, I come to my home every day and my wife has to exercise patience because she's married to me, right? And so here's the deal. Knowing, half the battle, self-control, half the battle, perseverance, the whole battle. Because if you know and have self-control once but then refuse to do it over and over again, this is the key to growing in the Christ life. Being able to put into play what you know and honor Christ over and over and over again. Even to your cost, even to, you know, to the point where it, it seems like it hurts. Yesterday we had a free throw shooting contest and Brainiac here said, you know, here's a way we could make it equal for everybody. Make the guys who shoot free throws chase their own rebounds. We'll time it for a minute, and so uh, it'll just kind of even the playing field. So the guys who are really great shooters will just stand there and shoot. They have to actually move and all this stuff. So I, of course, playing basketball as a college player and all that stuff, thought I might have a chance to win this one. And I'll let you know, I, I, like in one of the rounds, I made the first three shots. Nailed them, right? It's perfect. But every time I nailed the shot, I had to run that 15 feet to grab the ball. I'll, I'll testify. Not in great shape right now. And so after three or four runs, you know, towards the Goal, I'm walking back, and I'm getting a little winded, and that ball's heavier. And I can't quite make it to the rim anymore. And then after that, I just forget it. It was just a lost cause. I could have shot like this and been as accurate. But it's, it's, it's when you're tired that you have to focus more. It's when you're, it's, it's, it's when you're, oh, I'm done. I've had it up to here. Who said that before in a situation? I'm done. Had it up to here. Okay, well then, this is where perseverance and steadfastness kicks in. You allow Jesus in those moments to exercise his self-control in your life so that you can do what he's taught you to do and honor him at all times. We need to live in godliness. That's basically just us. Uh, if being good is, is virtue, then being godly is a practical awareness of, where, uh, of God's presence in every aspect of our lives and us doing everything we can to honor him. We need to stay in Philadelphia Stay in Philadelphia. It says there that we should add to, uh, add to our godliness brotherly affection. That's the actual word Philadelphia in your Bible. Stay in Philadelphia. It's mo way more than this team that won the Super Bowl. It's this call of the Christian life. And when it says brotherly affection there, Peter's saying to these Christians he's addressing, hey, love on those Christians. Love on the other Christians. Help them. Go look after them. Go find them. Tend to their needs. These false teachers are pulling them away from the faith Go and be a service to them. That's why, we, that's why we got the room. Everybody gets that, right? I mean, I haven't heard of this church, but I, I suppose you could have a church where there's one pastor and one family, and you could just go to that family's house, and we could just talk and stuff like that. But we don't do that, right? We get everybody together. It's all y'all, right? And you come from different places and different uh, stages of life, and you've got different experiences, but we push you in here, and we cram you into these beautifully soft black chairs, and we ask you to get in life groups and get to know each other. Why? Philadelphia, so that you can show brotherly and sisterly affection. Here, here's a challenge I want to give you as we get closer to finishing here. Who's not here that should be here? Like, who do you know that used to be here that isn't here? And, and maybe it's not even Baylight. Who do you know that used to follow Christ that isn't following Christ? Who do you know uh, that you could be an encouragement to this week? If you will take this challenge, everybody write down this, this one person in your life that you know used to follow Jesus or used to be a part of our church or some church and just isn't anymore. Write them down, text them, email them, uh, 
show up at their house unannounced, I don't care what you do, but get face-to-face time, screen-to-screen time, however you want to do it, and let these people know that you care, that you're, you're praying for them, you're loving them, because that's what Brother Lee Affection does. And then finally, the capper of this faith uh, additional list you know, that we've been covering is love, because love is who we are as Christians. It says in verse 8, it says, uh, for if these qualities are yours and, uh, and they are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but as I follow Jesus, I don't want to be ineffective or unfruitful. I don't want to be useless to my king. He says, you know what, you, you, want, you want to understand how to be uh, useful, not useless in this life that I have with you? Be in this list and be increasing in this list. Be in Christ, be in, have these qualities, and, and be increasing in them. And that's that whole good enough. We can't just settle for good enough. I don't care how old we get, how long we've been following Jesus, how many times we've honored him in this way or that way. There's always more. There's always the next things, the next levels of honoring him. Verse 9 says this, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Uh, When Christians like you and I start uh, ignoring the power of Christ in us to live the Christ life, uh, he says three things about us. We get nearsighted, we get blind, and we get amnesia. You see that there? We're nearsighted, we're blind, and we forget where we came from. Nearsighted is this, if I think it's, if I get it right, it's always opposite. Nearsighted is you can't see far, right? Is that nearsighted? Uh, Blind is you can't see where you are right now. Amnesia is you can't see where you've come from. Uh, All of these things are the product of us not persisting and pursuing Christ in us to be more like him, to to live more like him. Here's the deal. We're never just standing still. You're either pursuing Christ and heading towards them, or you are going the other direction. That's essentially what Paul or Peter just said. He says, hey, if, if you're increasing, hey, you're not useless. You're not unfruitful. You're making a difference in the kingdom. But if, if you aren't increasing, if you aren't pushing into the Christ that's in you and, and allowing him to change you, then you're not seeing your future. You're not understanding where this is all headed. You're not seeing your life now. You're probably... Uh, in the, in the mirror saying, good enough. And you've forgotten, this is the big one, you've forgotten what you've been saved from. Ah, that we would all remember that apart from Christ, we have nothing. That he is our hope, our joy, that everything else in life uh, orbits that, or should. He should be our all in all. Our focus, our lives, But I, like you, live in America, and there's all kinds of things that I make ultimate rather than my Jesus. Oh, may he grant us the grace to live his lists, to live out the power that he's given us so that he gets the glory he's due from us, and so that we get the lives that he hopes for us to have. You know, the best life we can have is the life lived fully in Christ. May God grant us the wisdom to choose him in all. Let's pray. Hey, Lord, thanks so much for a chance to open your word and to be reminded uh, of these great opportunities that we have. We are living in the the same environments that Peter was addressing. We got all kinds of stuff pulling at us, trying to get us to 
disbelieve, to disavow, to walk away. Here's, here's my prayer uh, for this church and every church that's meeting right now. I pray that you would give us more of Jesus. We know we have him in the fold, but help us to f- focus on him and to, to, to rely on him to bring about um, his likeness in us. Help us to be participants in your divine nature. Help us to live for you uh, so that you get the glory you deserve, so that the world sees you through us, so that we have the lives that you want us to have, God. Uh, This is my prayer for us as a church this morning. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.